Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is a podcast for sustainable fashion conversations. Whether you're a consumer or a sustainable fashion brand owner, we have a lot of resources just for you. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and I promise to support you and equip you with the knowledge to help right the harmful fashion industry. Without any further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to Recloseted Radio, Stephanie. You actually reached out to us last week, which was really timely given everything going on. And you had talked about the fact that you wanted to compare the 2008 financial crisis to what's going on right now with COVID-19. And I thought that would be a really topical and timely discussion. So I really wanted to get into it with you today. And before we start, I do want to point out that this is Stephanie's second time on our podcast. And previously, she was interviewed by me in episode 30, where she talked about her slow fashion brand, Devil May Wear, and dropped so many insights and nuggets there. So if you haven't listened to that yet, I'll have it linked in the show notes so you can check it out after this episode. But welcome back, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me back. I was just sitting on my balcony, uh, enjoying the stunning weather we've had in my tiny little outdoor space, just furiously going through my mind about what's going to happen after this quarantine and how our spending habits will change and uh, how business is going to change and shift. And I had to tell somebody, and you were just the first person I thought to, to reach out. You had such great questions last time. So I thought this would be a really great opportunity. And I hope we don't render everything we said last time irrelevant because so much has changed since then. I know. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm really honored that you thought of us and I feel like you're going to have some really great nuggets of wisdom to share and I'm really looking forward to our discussion. But maybe before we get into it, do you want to do a quick introduction on yourself just in case people haven't listened to your previous episode? I'd love to. I'm Stephanie Osler. I'm the owner of Devil May Wear. Devil May Wear is a Vancouver clothing and lingerie company. We make everything by hand locally, and most of it's made out of sustainable fibers. We do everything ethically, and it's a lot of fun. We've been around for 17 years. It's been crazy up and downs, and I finally feel like I've, I've completed a full cycle. Now this is going to be my second recession. It's so exciting. <laughs> I, w- I was about to say congratulations, but I don't think that's the right thing to say. <laughs> Well, you know, it kind of is though. It's very ironic, but I I talk a lot about having an entrepreneurial mindset and we can get into that if you want later. But part of an entrepreneurial mindset is seeing opportunity in crisis and always being positive. And the way I see it is when you look at the numbers for how many businesses don't survive year to year, which is not to say they fail. And I I hate when people are, are calling moving on to a new thing a failure. It's not a failure, but on the same token, it's something to be proud of to stay in business long enough to have experienced two recessions. And it's with these experiences that we gain new skills and new abilities and they allow us to move forward uh, and do better every time. So there is something in it to congratulate, but <laughs> it's weird. It is weird. Yeah. And I'd love to know more about what you're currently doing with your brand Devil Me Wear because in episode 30, we talked about how you have a gorgeous store on Granville Island, which I assume now is closed. And you also mentioned how you're not exactly fond of e-commerce and, you know, everything that comes with that. I would love to hear like how you've pivoted during these times and what you're doing with your slow fashion brand right now. So I'm completely not fond of online shopping and maybe it's just my generation. I'm not that old, but maybe I'm just old enough to have less of an appreciation for that separation. But my store is closed right now and we don't really know what that reopening will look like, though we know at some point we're at least going to test out reopening again, as many stores will. So we will weather the quarantine. I've really upped my game on our our online store. Uh, All my staff are laid off right now, which is really tough. We're all still connecting quite frequently with each other and having a lot of conversations and trying to help each other through this. But it just sort of was the most secure situation for every single one of them and the company that we would take that route. And with the, the opportunities that the government's provided to do that, that's worked out really well. 
And one thing I've kind of noticed is this whole situation is a bit of a waiting game because every single day the terms change. So this morning I received a phone call from a friend of mine who runs her own store. And apparently I hadn't seen this in the news yet because I was working on uh, my taxes this morning that the government is now going to be covering a portion of commercial rents. So every day you just, you wake up thinking, am I in business today or they're good news or, or is it going to be bad news? And should I close the doors? It's very weird. And I think for everybody, whether or not you're a business owner, the hardest part of navigating what's happening right now is being comfortable with the unknown. Yeah, totally. And to your point, I think our government, we're both in Canada, but I think our Canadian government's done a pretty good job at rolling out things to help small businesses. And it does seem like things are changing every single day and there's new information every day. But do you have any resources or sites that you've been going on to kind of stay up to date on the benefits available to small businesses? The CRA website is definitely the best website for the benefits. And to me, I think that's pretty much as clear as it gets. So there are a lot of places that are giving you much more in-depth analysis to it. So my QuickBooks is constantly reminding me of those opportunities. You know, my bank, I'm with Van City, and if I could plug Van City, Van City has been a lifesaver through so many things over the, the lifetime of my company. They called me, Van City called me to have a conversation and make sure that I knew what we could do with the opportunities we were being given. So um, having a really good banker and getting to know them. You know, you can't right now, but if you don't have that relationship with your banker when the quarantine is lifted, I highly recommend you create relationships at your bank and take them out for lunch because those will be invaluable relationships when the next crisis hits. Wow. Yeah. I think Man City is a really great resource and bank to go with, especially if you're in Vancouver. So that's great that they've been helping you with resources. And then similarly to you, I have an amazing accountant and she's uh, sending almost like weekly updates. So make sure if you're working with like an accountant or someone and see if you can pick their brains because I feel like they're a really good resource as well. Yeah. And likewise, a lot of the business owners I know are really sharing back and forth with each other. We've been on the phone. We've been meeting. Well, I shouldn't say meeting, but I gave a bunch of elastic to uh, some people for the masks they're making. They're making face masks. I'm not working on the masks myself, but I've been giving some elastic away and uh, just at a safe distance from them in their car or wherever and, and me handing off the elastic. We've had some conversations about um, what we're doing. So word really spread. So this is a really great opportunity for networking since we're all kind of sitting here at home in the dark trying to figure this out on our own. So one of the conversations I've had with one of my staff members recently who's trying to move up in the world in terms of what she studied at university, we've been talking about who she can network with, who she can meet right now, who'd be willing to have a Skype call with her. So if you have a business or you're thinking about having a business or you work for someone, now is the opportunity to really increase those connections with people because once we're out of quarantine, you can take them out for a drink and really get to know them on that sort of one-on-one face-to-face basis. But I think that developing our networks is so important and we have an opportunity. Yeah, and it's also been really promising to see just how much people have come together during these times because I feel like everyone's going through this together and everyone's there to support each other. So the community aspect of it has been a really cool, positive thing to come out of this. Isn't that amazing? It's been really cool. So there's, you're probably part of them too. I I think there's a few, but I'm part of one that's quite prominent. It's a COVID-19 sharing group in Facebook and people post all the time when they run out of food or run out of toilet paper, or they'll post to offer to pick up groceries or whatever people need. And I just thought, what an incredible resource that we need to use in the good times. Like this, this shouldn't be limited to when we're in quarantine, but we can really start developing our communities and, and how interesting it is that communities don't have to be defined by where you live anymore, but your community can be defined in so many different ways. And with resources like Facebook, we can really access each other. It's cool. Yeah, it is so cool. And I, to your point, like I want to see this continue and I hope that this kind of camaraderie and this community that we're building right now and even the good habits we're building ourselves by reading more, maybe being more intentional of what we're consuming on social media. Like I think all of these habits should continue and they're, they're so great to kind of foster during these environments. 
Absolutely. And this does give us a really good opportunity to spend some time getting to know who we are, because it's when your back's against the wall and you're facing pressure that that those authentic moments arise and, and things that you may not have even realized were in yourself and you get to start seeing what's going on in there. And like you said, having um, good social media interactions and stuff like that, just being really self-aware of what we're choosing to do because whether you're feeling stress or you're feeling relaxed during this time we all have a lot more focus on our, ourselves and and our choices it's very interesting yeah totally and you talked about this earlier but you know as a business owner or a small business owner navigating the unknown can always be you know challenging and tricky especially when the unknown is so great right now like we have no idea on timelines no idea on, you know, what's going to happen after all of this. So do you have any tips? Is there anything you learned from 2008 that you're applying now? Just any tips or strategies that you feel like slow fashion brands or even entrepreneurs should be doing? I have so many. The first thing I did after sitting on the balcony that morning, I should mention after contacting you was I just started taking notes. I just started writing and writing and writing and, and just validating, just looking back at the numbers and seeing if what I remembered was correct. And it was amazing how much information there was that it's right at all of our fingertips. But the difference I think for me is the emotional way in which I experienced 2008. And that really helps develop your memory for things. So if somebody else was having a very emotional experience, then they'll probably relate. But I also realize how little I can actually convey in one podcast. So I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. But First off, I really want to, I don't think I mentioned last time, but one of the things that I'm really big with in business is barriers to entry. As an entrepreneur, I love barriers to entry because barriers to entry means somebody else is giving up. Every time something gets difficult, somebody else is quitting. And so right now there's a barrier that we're all facing, which is the unknown. And so that can be really scary and uncomfortable, but first recognizing that everybody's in the same boat. Nobody really has access to more information than you do, except maybe the government, but they're probably not your competition. So given that all factors are the same, you can use this opportunity in a really big way to move yourself forward. And also this time we have to be at home and focus on ourselves or, or whatever we're working on, uh, unless you have one of those critical jobs where you're being called to work day after day after day right now, you probably have a lot more time to create a lot of efficiencies, like even our meeting at the moment, I would have had to go downtown and meet you. And that would have taken me, you know, maybe 120 minutes round trip which I can now spend working on my company instead. So remembering that all things are equal and that when there's a crisis, it means you have an opportunity. When there's a limitation, you have an opportunity. Yeah, I love that. And it's a really good way to reframe everything that's going on right now too, because I get it, like it can seem very hopeless and it can seem very daunting. But if you change your perspective and think of it as an opportunity and think about how you can help and add value, I think that shifts things and helps just even your mental health too. Completely. And there's so many businesses that are going to be stuck in the past. Even mine to a large extent is stuck in the past because I'm so hopelessly committed to brick and mortar retail. But the future is so clearly going to be digital, even if it is interacting with the physical. I'm still a big believer, like I said on the last interview we had, that you need to have a product and get that product in front of people. But coming out of this, we're probably going to be looking at a lot more variety of, of physical experiences. Like I've believed for years, the retail experience is going to change, especially because prior to the quarantine, we were sort of facing the perfect storm where property tax was getting unbearably high. The rent was already high. The wages are going up, which they have to, but that's still a lot of pressure on business. The cost of goods is going up. All of our baseline costs are going up and our foot traffic and our sales generally aren't increasing amongst most stores. So we're going to probably pull off of those main locations, those sort of Robson Street, Main Street, really good walk-by locations, and we're going to be in offices. So I, I thought that was going to happen already for this hit, but now this is even just more incentive for businesses to really rethink how they interact with their customers. So when you're trying to figure out how you're getting your product in front of people, thinking more of an interactive experience, how you can be flexible and versatile, because we're looking at quarantines maybe being the new status quo, and you don't want to be locked into a very expensive of lease that you can't afford to pay. 
if everybody's stuck at home again. So pop-up experiences, maybe converted uh, cargo vans into stores, there'll be more markets. There's just going to be a lot more different things. And I'm thinking even for me, what really appeals to me is sort of like the studio slash store space where the studio, which we need to have running regardless of, of what the circumstance is, also doubles as the place where my customers come to buy things. And then they're having the experience of seeing where it's made. Yeah, that studio store space would be a really cool idea. And then digging into online a little bit more, you might still be brainstorming and strategizing right now, but have you thought of any ways to make online shopping a little bit more sustainable or environmentally friendly? Because I know last time you had mentioned you're not fond of it. And now to your point, as we're moving to becoming more digital, and I feel like it's going to become more of the norm after this. How can slow fashion brands approach it a little bit more intentionally? I haven't found many good ways to tackle the waste that goes into shipping. That's really, really bothering me. And I had a student who was looking at doing recycled or reusable shipping packaging during the last semester briefly. And it was a real problem of being able to share that want to say infrastructure almost. So I think at some point we're going to tackle some sort of standardization and shipping packaging that can be reused amongst big and small businesses. But somebody like Canada Post is actually going to probably have to take that responsibility because they will be able to utilize that in their logistics. I think that we really need to encourage people to buy less stuff in general, and that would also reverberate through the shipping waste. And we've all been saying that for a long time. Almost everybody in this side of fashion has been encouraging less purchases and quality. But I think what we saw in 2008, which we're also going to see right now, is that people are buying quality over quantity as we've all been sitting at home wearing out our clothing, noticing what lasts and what doesn't. So we can't really get away from the people who are still willing to buy cheap crap off of Wish, but the people who are very cognizant of their wardrobe or very aware of their spending habits are going to be the people who are looking for something really well-made. And so that being said, what I think is going to be really important for brands is building their relationships online and building trust because people are going to be parting with their, their hard-earned money, especially when their hard-earned money is a lot more limited. They're going to have to trust who that's going to. So work on your social media, make sure that your customers on social media are seeing your authentic self. They're seeing who's the person behind the brand, who are the people who work in the warehouse. They want to see inside your operation and know exactly how this is done because this is going to be about building relationship and how do we bring that personal one-on-one brick and mortar experience online. So I've seen some things that are like walking through shopping opportunities, sort of uh, live shopping. They'll go through their store and sort of show you the different garments, or maybe it'll be a video instead of a photo of the clothing being worn so they can see the movement in the garments. There's a lot of different ways we can use our media, but making sure that whatever you do, you're developing authenticity and trust, because if you're coming off as too fake, people aren't going to want to give you their money. They're not, they're not going to feel comfortable with that. Yeah, totally. It's all about like, I I work through funnels with my clients and I hate that term, but you know, at the very bottom before someone does convert, you do have to establish trust. And so what have been some things you've done with your brand to try to establish trust? Because I feel like it's something that people often say, but they don't really give you tangible tips. So you've definitely mentioned a few things already, like showing the behind the scenes of their production and just being more transparent overall. But is there anything you found that's been really helpful to build trust amongst your community? Well, I've got kind of a funny thing. I recently ordered a a tripod from my phone because I haven't been able to take pictures or videos me sewing things because I always have to hold the phone with one hand and sew with the other hand. And I know a lot of people got on the tripod trend a long time ago, but it's new to me because I very much like to turn my camera off and experience my life directly. But that's one of my silly little things is go out and buy a tripod and start filming yourself and photographing yourself and sharing your suppliers. I mean, radical transparency is something that's really big with people. And I've always had a bit of a conflict with that because my experience as a clothing designer has been when I, when I share, when I'm radically transparent and I share all my suppliers, other people buy all the supplies and I no longer have access to them. But I think the trade-off and risk that you're going to be limited on supplies is probably worth it in order to build that relationship with your customers. Uh, supply chains have been broken, so I don't want to be fickle about how important supply chains are, especially in the time of COVID. But I think that you can 
be diligent and find an alternative supplier if something becomes short or work on the less is more model and, and investing more in each piece you create and selling less pieces as well. So if, if you are finding your suppliers are short, consider how you can add more value to your products. You know, even back to developing those relationships, letting people hear your voice, letting them experience as many different sensory experiences of you as possible. I think that's a really important way to develop a rapport with somebody, especially in this time where we can't actually hug or shake hands or, or be there with each other, but thinking all the senses, how can you touch somebody with each one of their senses? And that's a really good way to develop a relationship with your customers. And on that note, sorry, I've got so many ideas, it's hard to hold them back. But I've been talking to a lot of my friends who have companies that don't typically sell a product, but they sell a service like a friend of mine who's a massage therapist. And he was asking me for advice on his website. And since he can't be doing massages right now, my recommendation was for him to start selling some products that are relevant to his customers and making sure he brands them under his own brand. And so because the point of these products is not to actually make a profit on each product, the point of the products is actually to remind his customers of him. So they may buy bath salts, for example, and it will have the brand from his company on it and all of his company information. And as it sits in their bathroom or it sits in their cupboard, every time they open their cupboard and they see that, they're reminded of him and they think, oh, when I have an opportunity, that's where I'll get a massage again. And when they want to give a recommendation to somebody else, the information is really easy to access. It's kind of like a business card that sort of breaks even when you get it into somebody's hands. For somebody who has a service, start selling um, a relevant product online. It has to be quality because it has to reflect what you do as a service. But start thinking of that as just being a little extra souvenir that people can use to be reminded of you. And if you sell a product already, consider what service you can offer. So it's sort of flipping both around. So maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's an online fashion show experience where you're actually trying things on and showing how they work. Or, you know, there's just so many ways where you just sort of want to get outside of the box and think about the other side of your customer experience. I love that. Yeah, that's a really cool idea to kind of flip flop around and be more creative during these times. And going back a little bit and touching on the COVID's impact on the fashion supply chain, because that's something I was chatting about with Iris, um, one of our contributing writers at Recloseted a couple of podcast episodes ago. And we were just talking about how concerned we were about brands like big brands canceling orders, not paying for orders. And just kind of being worried about what factories and mills will be left after this, as devastating as it is to say that. So I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on how you think the supply chain is going to be affected by COVID? What you think brands should be doing to protect themselves? What they can do to help their production partners? Just any thoughts regarding just the supply chain in general? I think the supply chain is to a large degree going to be devastated. I think about this from the perspective of my work in film. So I work part-time in film because I get paid to learn more about run my company. It's wonderful. And it's a fun break from my everyday. So I occasionally work as a buyer in film. And I'm thinking coming out of the stores that I shop at for film are not going to be there anymore. And the ones that are, are going to have the same stuff on the shelves that they had four months ago. And how interesting is that going to be when TV is reliant on being unique and cutting edge and different and they, they have to show you something you haven't seen. If you're watching Star Trek and you can tell there's an Ikea shelf in the background, it really breaks that suspension of disbelief. So I'm looking at how big demand like that is not going to have access to product. And that's one way that me as a clothing company and see this goes back to learning, working another job. So I learn about my main business. I will be able to pivot my clothing company to focus more on selling to film. So that doesn't totally answer the supply chain question. But when I was working as a buyer previous to the lockdown, there were a lot of big companies that were already having their shipments canceled. So there were already companies we were trying to buy from that we couldn't get things from, we couldn't get them delivered. And so we have companies like that film or retailers are going to have to pivot and look for somewhere else. So for me as a local clothing company, I always kind of have a bit of stock on fabric and that's not really, I mean, financially, sometimes I look at that going, what am I thinking? I look at my credit card debt and it's equal to the, the bolts of fabric that are in my house and I'm just paying interest on it. 
but at this point it's an investment. Now I, I will be able to make clothing when other companies won't have anything. So stocking up to a reasonable degree when the opportunity arises, but don't get carried away because you are paying interest and you're paying rent for that fabric that's just sitting there. But if you're a local designer, this is going to be a real opportunity to sell your product when nothing's coming as quickly or reliably from other places. Again, you mentioned the factories and stuff, and there's a lot of those big companies that aren't actually paying their employees in those factories. So just this opportunity to recognize how bad those circumstances really are and start rethinking why we purchase those and considering investing a little bit more money in something that's ethical and local and sustainable and supporting a local business is good. I know in 2008, when the economy tanked, there were a lot of factories that just went out of business and a lot of them had made their clothing designers pay in advance for the fabric that never arrived. So a lot of clothing designers were left out to dry with no fabric and no money. And that was really debilitating for a lot of them. But because of a lot of those experiences, that's not really the way we generally buy fabric anymore. We're not usually paying for it in advance. But that is a real serious concern, especially when you're working with sustainable materials, because there aren't that many factories in the world that are producing so-called sustainable fabric. So I think there's going to be a really big trend in using dead stock, because that's already fabric that's landed. It's in North America. It's not being used misallocated resources, you might call it. So I'm seeing a lot of dead stocks. I'm thinking largely about using dead stock. There's nothing more sustainable than using what already exists. I think that because of the advantages of the internet where indie designers can compete with mall designers to the degree that they're all available, all you have to do is find them. I think we'll have a lot of reworked product from indie designers. I think that will be a really big trend. I don't see reworking clothing as being very scalable. It kind of becomes unprofitable when you start hiring people. But I think that we'll see a lot of new sustainability opportunities that are the response to the lack of supply. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a lot of innovation to your point. And that's a really good point about dead stock. You know, I was kind of getting concerned over maybe people won't be producing as much tensile or things like that. But to your point, there's a lot of fabric and there's a lot of orders and clothing that are just being made and kind of just sitting there because they can't sell, like the bigger brands can't sell it right now. So maybe there's ways we can rework it and it doesn't all have to go to waste. Yeah, exactly. And people are going to be, so on the other hand of quality over quantity, people are going to be very price conscious right now, especially because so many big brands are going to be discounting like crazy. It's going to be really hard for a local designer who's making product now without the intention of discounting it to compete with Banana Republic selling at 70% off. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, no matter how sustainable and ethical people are, they'll often allow their temptations to get the better of them, which is why I really like to encourage people to not think with their wallet first, but think what they want first. Because if you limit what you buy to something you truly, truly want, price doesn't usually factor in, but in the end, you end up saving money because you're buying less things. You're not buying something that sits in your closet you're never wearing. But hopefully the stuff that doesn't sell or the, you know, the liquidation stuff or the you know, stores are going to go out of business. They absolutely are. Hopefully we can utilize that product in a big way to do something else with it. Yeah, I always talk about quality over quantity too. And when people ask me like, what's the first thing I can do to be more conscious and sustainable? I say the first thing you can do is buy less. And to your point, like it saves them money. And sustainable fashion always seems like it's expensive and out of reach, but like you can just buy less. And that's a really big part of your way to kind of do better. But also like I've had a lot of clients and also people in a community have plans for launches, right? Like spring summer launches or new collection launches or even launching their brand. And a lot of them have unfortunately had to either do a half-assed launch or they've had to push things back. So what is your advice right now, given the fact that big brands are discounting, people are more price sensitive and maybe are only spending on necessary goods? Do you feel that slow fashion brands should be launching or how do you think they should be approaching sales in general? So I think it, it really is going to be developing that trust and really giving somebody that personal experience that a big brand can't give. I think that's really going to make all the difference. 
I think that we should generally be pulling back on what we produce, but that's a good thing. We should be pulling back on what we produce anyway and asking how we can make better things. You know, even in my company, I, I love what I make, but I look at it and I think a lot of this maybe doesn't need to be made. So I could make less garments and make more sort of vital garments, make things that people really, really need in their wardrobe. I've noticed for me personally, a, a large uptick in our underwear sales over everything else, which makes sense because people don't really need a new pair of pants right now, though I argue they never do. But you might notice that you could use a new pair of underwear and it makes you feel good and it's a lower price point. So given that people are going to be price savvy, considering what price range it fits into, so people will spend money um, psychologically in ways that make them feel comfortable. And usually coming under $100 is a good psychological space to be in. So for example, in like 2007, 2008, when people still spent a lot of cash, I found that $35 was the perfect price point because with tax, $35 turned out to be $39.20 and people went to bank machines and got 20s out of the bank machine. So that was two 20s and everybody always had two or three 20s in their wallet. So that was, I really tried to produce product that fit within that price point scheme. So now if people can think about what, what their price breaks are, look at what your average invoice is, look at what people are willing to pay comfortably and be crafting really good product that fits within to that price point. So you don't necessarily have to discount, but you're doing things that work psychologically with people. I know it sounds like a strange thing to do from a design standpoint, but we design in relationship to our customers. We don't design exclusively from our customers. Yes, I love that. It's so true about what you're saying about, you know, of course, creating things that people need and that are vital, but then also taking into consideration what people are willing to pay. And I love that $35 price point and your thought process behind that. Were there any other big lessons or takeaways that you have um, gotten from your business from the 2008 financial crisis that you would like to share? So, so many, <laughs> so many. Uh, the first one I was just, it was bothering me because I, I wanted to address your question, but while you're talking, you give me so many other things to think about because your questions are really loaded. They're really deep. But the last one about people creating collections, doing these soft launches or a half launch, or, you know, one of the biggest advantages that I think of to having my company be local and produced in Vancouver is that we can literally just change directions. We can cancel, we can stop, we can start, we can do whatever we want. So there's going to be um, an advantage over anybody who creates their garments overseas. We're going to be so much more of a leader because when the quarantine hit, we were mid-spring production, we were mid-fall design, if that makes any sense. We sort of produce, we, we produce very close to our release dates, which we produce probably closer to our release dates than even most local designers. But the reason we do that is because it allows us to pivot really quickly if we want to. So uh, if we things are going really well and people are buying a lot of something we can create more of it right away respond to the market and likewise we saw that our spring summer collection is basically going to have to be sold at a discount so we just canceled production and now i've got all my fabric purchased for next spring so that's really hard for somebody to do who is shipping orders to stores but I think the companies are going to have to become more flexible. We're going to be more vertically integrated which means that we're creating more of our product start to finish in house and uh, outsourcing less of our steps. And that will allow you to pivot really quickly, allow you to compete with that price advantage that big companies have producing overseas because they're slow movers. They're predicting their schedules six months to a year, maybe even a year and a half in advance at that point because they need such a long lead time to get that product to market, get it shipped, get it on the boats crazy. So there's a huge advantage for local designers. And I, I, I want to really reinforce that everybody can develop an entrepreneurial mindset and how important an entrepreneurial mindset is all the time, regardless of whether or not you're a business owner. But like I said at the beginning, it's about seeing crisis and opportunity. It's about being positive. It's about being creative. It's about being willing to identify what needs are not being met and go meet those needs. And you can have an entrepreneurial mindset and be an employee. It's just, it's a great way to be. But for the entrepreneurs out there, whether they own a business or not, seeing that this is a great opportunity to sort of get ahead of those slow moving whales, get ahead of the mall companies, get ahead of those unsustainable, unethical brands and, and really stand out and have the right product in the right place at the right time and be talking directly to your customers. Yeah, 
I love that. And it's really great that you produce so soon to your release date. I didn't actually know that, but I feel like that's the goal of most brands so that they can pivot and they can be agile and nimble. So that's great. Good for you. I highly recommend it. I just watched a video this morning about why Elon Musk does that with all of his businesses. And I was like, oh my God, I think I get along really well with him. It was very interesting that they plan all of their products sort of around how they can make it in-house because it allows them to pivot and change their expectations and, and make new things on the fly. It's really interesting. But one thing that I just sort of want to put out there for people to think about, which will be interesting, is usually when the economy dips, which we're not technically in a recession yet, but I believe this will count as a recession when we get through to the other side. Uh, usually when that happens, black becomes the color. Everyone wants black because it's versatile. It goes everywhere. Every time an economy dips, everyone just wears black. They want black clothing. But if we have, if we have a limit on the supply access, if there are factories not shipping fabric, if it's not getting to North America and we're focused on dead stock, we're going to find that generally there is no black dead stock. So watching the color trends is going to be fascinating. That's something I really can't account for. So maybe that'll get everybody thinking. Yeah, totally. And going back a little bit, so yeah, thank you for building on the fact of, you know, and sharing your production process, but going back to kind of 2008 and some of your lessons, would you be able to share that with the listeners? Oh, absolutely. When 2008 happened, I was about 22 years old and everything had been going amazing. I've been making tons of money. I thought I was brilliant. This is all the success is due to my expertise. And then everything just turned off. We had tons of orders out at stores that were on net 30, which means they don't pay for 30 days. And those payments never came in. The customers just dried up immediately. It, it was a wild feeling and it happened all within about a span of two weeks, which is very reflective of how this quarantine has been experienced. It really dried up in about two weeks. Everything just disappeared and halted. And when I was trying to figure out what was wrong, because I thought it was my fault. And if it's my fault, I can fix it. After all my research, I, I started understanding what a recession meant. And what it meant was things are going to be sold at a discount. So as soon as I could, we had a 400 square foot store on Main Street. I signed an eight-year lease for 1,500 square feet. So taking opportunities like that and locking in prices is really good. I'd recommend if you are negotiating leases, now is not the time to negotiate a lease. We still don't know what this looks like. And there's a lot of people that need to be shaken out of the tree first, as one might say. But when that happens on the other side, you're going to have a lot of opportunities for negotiation. And when you do negotiate with landlords, make sure that you're actively negotiating what happens next time a lockdown occurs, because now this is something we know can happen. And your landlord also is going to want to make sure that they're protected. So coming to an agreement where if we have another wave of this, everybody sort of has an understanding. You're going to have a lot of employees out there shifting jobs. Everybody's sort of moving around, sort of like musical chairs. So really rethinking your, your company structure and having an opportunity to really snatch up some great skills. If you want to get some of those really skilled people, you might want to start considering getting them before the quarantine's lifted and start paying them for part-time jobs to be working online if you can, because you want to get them before somebody else gets to them. Like I said, really looking at your supply chain and seeing what's working, what's not, and how can you become more vertically integrated? How can you be more self-sufficient, self-sustaining? And what can you do on the supply side to not overspend and not be carrying this huge financial burden, but to be prepared? So there's a little lead time if things dry up if things disappear. Working on your networks, really creating those relationships right now. One thing that happened right after 2008 that was very prominent is that styles didn't change very quickly. So you won't have to come up with a whole new product line in a different direction every three months like we've been doing for a while. We're going to be seeing the same style staying on the market for a while. So that's really going to allow you to develop some really strong patterns because that's how we work as clothing designers. We make a pattern, we test it in the market, and we alter it, and we do it again and again. So you're going to have some really good opportunities to develop your product and do some customer consultation. Oh, there's so many things. I could just go through this list of mine. Yeah. That, that was honestly really helpful. And as I was listening to you, it seems like a lot of it has to do with, you know, business owners sitting down, taking a serious look at their business, seeing where they can improve, what skills they want to do. 
And then at what point do you think they start acting on some of those things? So I agree with you, like right now is probably not the time to be negotiating for leases or hiring people quite yet. But with the timelines being so uncertain, do you have any advice as to when people should start taking action? So I don't think we're going to have to worry about leases for a while. I think we need to see what happens first. And the government, like you mentioned earlier, has been so good at getting money into small businesses' hands, unlike every other recession that we've seen or that I've heard of. That's going to keep a lot of commercial leases occupied a little bit longer. But where we're going to face a lot of our problems as business owners is once we try to open again. Because at some point, the government isn't going to continue carrying the bill. And once we start open again, we'll see what those trends are. If people come back to the stores immediately or if if they just want to go buy those cheap discount clothing. So that's when you'll start seeing more of the stores close. And once you notice them, you'll see the lease signs going up in the windows. You'll see the reports on Facebook. And once that happens, then you'll start knowing that it's time to, to get on the lease. I think that you can also be rather intuitive about hiring people because thanks to social media, you sort of have the temperature of your friends. You can sort of gauge whether they're being picked up for jobs, if they're still working from home. And likewise, as long as people are getting a lot of money from the federal government, they don't have a lot of motivation to go work for a new job. But once the money starts drying up or they want to create new opportunities for themselves, they're starting to look at new paths, start looking at getting people on under contract or payroll or whatever you could do. And even right now, we've got these, some opportunities with the government helping us cover payroll obligations. So, you know, you could hire somebody as soon as this week if you can afford to cover that payroll. We're not going to be locked down forever. And there are a lot of things that you can do immediately, like looking at what the supply opportunities are and cultivating your online brand. So maybe you want to hire somebody that's a marketing expert. Uh, maybe you want to hire Reclosita to help you design your brand or just maybe do um, an assessment of where you sit currently with your market because now is an ideal time for that. And when times get tough, you really get to understand what works and what doesn't work in your company. Things are constantly changing. This isn't the same world that it was in the 90s. I've been watching Seinfeld again. And like we all know, Seinfeld wouldn't have been a show if everybody had cell phones at the time. So imagine how different your brand would be if we didn't have cell phones. Like that's the era I started in. I started in the era where people didn't have cell phones. So just analyzing what's working today, what's inevitably going to change, do that analysis, hire the expert, take advantage of those investments that the government's making in a small business to pay some experts to look at your business, working on your business plan right now. Even if you don't feel that you can adequately write a five-year plan, being clear with your business and what your intentions are with your business are really important. So doing that kind of dirty work right now, that's really good. So set yourself up, get organized, get your paperwork done, clean your studio, clean your house, you know, whatever it takes so that as soon as things open up, you're ready to hit the ground running and there's nothing that holds you back. Yes, I love that. And we'd kind of talked about that. We were kind of joking around um, at the beginning of the episode, but you've been in business for a long time and now you're kind of going through two recessions. So what do you think has really helped you stay in business and what has helped you be able to adapt through the times of, you know, no cell phones to all of a sudden social media blowing up? Like, what do you think are some characteristics and things that have really helped you? I think probably curiosity. So like, as I've clearly shared, I'm actually not a fan of online shopping. I don't really do it myself. It's not an experience I have. I, like I said, I like to put the camera down and, and enjoy my life. I want to meet people face to face. But there is a curiosity in me that like, what's the potential here? What can this bring? What can I offer? How can I help more people? And so that incentivizes me and it creates a desire where there wasn't one to sell online and experience that and perhaps even discover something I didn't know I loved. Like when I opened a retail store, it was a studio we had that we had outgrown. So we were going to get rid of the space and I decided we had a couple years left. Let's just see what happens if we turn it into a retail store. I didn't want a retail store because I thought if I had a retail store, I'd be stuck in it. I'd never get to go anywhere. I'd, I'd be there when we opened and I'd be there when we closed. And then look at me now. I've had a retail store for, I think we're on 12 years. Uh, we've had brick and mortar and now I can't let go of it. Now I don't want to go online. So going into the unknown with an open mind and being curious about it is a really great way to propel yourself forward. I think another thing is recognizing that we have some of our 
best growth through the hard times. Nobody wants to be in the hard time, but, but they're the times that generally create the most change in our lives. And so the biggest point of pride I actually have is that I've had this company and I've been able to keep it running through a terrible hand injury. Uh, I once had mono, I got mono from a staff member and we used to have to lock up the store and nap in the back. And when you have two people running a store with mono, nobody really wants to work for you. So we were understaffed and nobody wanted to work with us as well. We finally got this girl working for us part-time. She was young and she kind of didn't know what risk she was taking working with two people with mono, but I'm proud that we made it through the Olympics. We were all told we were going to make so much money during the Olympics and it was devastating for business here. It was awful. I've had three stores over two different cities. I've had big staffs. I've hired people. I've fired people. Just the experiences I've had have been incredible. And, and I've had a little bit of, um, I want to say remorse over the last week I've been working on sorting out my paperwork going back four years because things were so busy over the last four years. I haven't had a chance to do it. And it's reminded me of these trips I've taken and these people I've met and these experiences I've had just going through these books. And now I just lament not being able to get out of the house and go travel somewhere right now. But it is these times, it is the tough times that you really develop character and you find out who you are and you find out what you want. And so it sucks to be in it, but you are in the middle of the hero's journey. So don't give up because times are tough. I, I wish I could remember who it is, but I once heard this awesome quote, you're never allowed to quit on a bad day. It's such a great philosophy. Don't quit on a bad day, only quit on a good day. Because if you quit on a good day, you know you're authentically quitting because you don't wanna be there. If you quit on a bad day, it might just be an outlier. Yeah, you just shared so many good nuggets there. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Like it's always the tough times that make you so much stronger and they put pressure on you and you, you know, going through it to your point, like you hate it and you're like, oh, this sucks. But when you get out to the other side, there's so much pride and accomplishment and looking back and seeing what you've done. So I think we're in the thick of it right now, but I think we'll come out of it stronger and better. Yeah, I think right now what we're mostly experiencing for a large degree is that unknown and humans are just very uncomfortable with the unknown. And it's because it, it gets all of our, our fear centers and our alarm bells going off. If you didn't know what was in the bush on the Savannah, you could die. So there's something very soothing in having expectation or just some sort of linear process. So we're all experiencing this massive amount of stress based on the unknown. And so that's one kind of problem we're facing. But just recognizing where that comes from, and everybody's in a different place, so I can't judge. Some people have it worse than others. I don't know what you're going through. But I am really nervous about when we get this started again. I think that's going to be a different kind of difficult. And uh, to remember that nothing lasts forever, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how difficult it is, it will pass. And so just be there when you have to be there, but don't start projecting out when things get tough that you're going to have to do this for a long time. Just break it down and take it one step at a time and we will get through this. Yeah, and speaking of stress and the unknown, what are some things you're currently doing from a mental health perspective? Because I feel like everyone's anxiety and stress levels are up. So I would love to hear what you're doing to take care of yourself right now. Well, I'm really busy right now. So I think that's really helped me be in a good place because not all of my work is on hold. I've been able to do a lot for my company. Like I said, even though I have my staff laid off, I'm still working on getting everything online. I'm doing social media. I'm shipping an order every day. They're not big orders, but they're still going every day. So things are still happening with my company. And I'm also, as I mentioned last time, I'm teaching a course called Make Change Studio at SFU. And so the course is still happening and my summer semester starts in two weeks. So I've spent a lot of time working on my summer semester of my course, getting the lectures ready and making sure everything works online because we're transitioning to online. And that keeps me really busy. And then also, like I said, I'm doing my paperwork. So for me, there's a part of this that actually feels quite regular, that feels very normal. And I think that that takes care of a lot of anxiety. But when the anxiety does come up, I love to craft. I'm constantly knitting. I'm sitting here right now knitting. I'm always knitting. And I highly recommend that everybody pick up a hobby that uses some sort of physical activity, not like a strenuous activity, but knitting or painting or drawing or yo-yo. It doesn't matter. But something that sort of just keeps your body moving slowly, you'll find that that gets rid of a lot of the, the physical 
agitation. So picking up something like knitting or cooking, cooking can be really relaxing. Those are really great. I've been gardening on my balcony a lot. That's really good. I highly recommend this as an opportunity to meditate. Uh, I think that this is, meditation is one of the greatest ways to get to know yourself and who you are and what you're doing here. And we have all the opportunity to meditate right now. It doesn't take long. It can be five minutes a day and it makes a lot of difference. So for people who want to meditate, and then I also really want to validate people's feelings because there's a lot going around on both sides. There's a lot about being productive. You need to be productive. Use this time to make something. But on the other hand, we need to recognize the feeling that we're having. So if you are having that anxiety, just recognizing that you're having it, just acknowledging it is so important and give yourself time. And remember how much time we're saving. Like I mentioned, 120 minutes of commute time we saved today, both of us saved that I wasn't going to meet you somewhere. So if I take that 120 minutes and I just use them to breathe, to just relax then I'm kind of breaking even on my day anyway. I'm not taking any more time out of being productive, but thinking about how you readjust and, and questioning the way you frame things. There's so many things we can do. Yeah, totally. And I feel like right now it's become a little bit like a productivity contest and you kind of talked about it too. So, you know, be mindful and like take care of yourself and remember that like we are in a global pandemic. You don't have to make something out of it. But if you do have the mental capacity, like I think Stephanie shared like a lot of great tips in this episode today and just kind of be kind to yourself, listen to yourself. Yeah, just balance. I mean, we're always looking at balance. So spend some time on a project, spend some time learning, and then spend some time lamenting the world you miss and lying on your couch doing nothing. Just balance. Don't try to do all of one or all of the other. We'll get through this. Nothing stays the same forever. And see this as an opportunity. Do the things that you don't get to do when the world is open. Whatever those are, learn a language or lie on the couch, catch up on a TV show or go for a run. Reframe it into something special. Yes, totally. And the time has seriously flown by, but, you know, given that we are kind of towards the end of our time together, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners? Oh, wow. Now I feel like we've talked about so much. That's such a pressure to, to answer. I, I, I really think that it's, it's just to be patient. I think we really need to take all of these lessons we're learning. It's very exciting to think about the future and project the trends and what's going to happen. And it's very exciting to repivot our brands and develop things. But just taking the time to get to know yourself is the most valuable thing you could do in life. So whether you're in quarantine or not, just get to know who you are and what you want, and it will help you make better decisions for your business, better decisions for the planet. You'll spend less money. You'll buy less things you don't want. Just if we could put emphasis on doing one thing right now and all the time, it would be get to know who you are, what you want, and what the hell you're doing here. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time again, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. And you shared so many nuggets of wisdom. And I know that this will be really helpful and also hopeful for people listening. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me the time. I really appreciate your interviews. You're just such a good interviewer. And it's so nice to have an opportunity to talk through through your space. Oh, thank you.